So we're going to continue in the book of Acts today. Uh, if you've not kept up with us or maybe you, you missed a Sunday or, or something happened and you want to catch up, you can always find the previous messages at oscconnect.com or you can download our app, our OSC app, and you can have everything right there on your phone. Uh, not only do you get me on the app, you get Pastor Josh and Pastor JJ. You can bring up some of Pastor Bubba's old stuff and come on, let you know it's good. And so <clears throat> I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to keep up and catch up if you need to. It's worth it. I believe God's speaking something to us as a, as a church in this area. Um, today's message, I, I want to talk to you about the cost, about what it costs believers to be the church. I need to do a little bit of explaining because I don't want you to think that I'm talking about the cost of salvation. That's the cost that Jesus paid. That's the cost that we can never pay. You can't pay anything for salvation. You cannot. All you can do is believe it and receive it, right? And we'll get into that in a minute. But there's a cost that comes to be the church. And so the title of today's message is the high cost of being the church. And when I say being the church, I'm not talking about having your name written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm talking about actually being the church, the church that moves the kingdom across the planet, the church that is, is military in a sense where it takes ground for the kingdom. It's going to cost you to be a part of that. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, the high cost of being the church, nearly one-third of the world's population is considered to be Christian. What's funny, though, is the word Christian was used in the New Testament to describe followers of Jesus because it was, it was saying that they looked like Christ. They were little Christ. And so if you think about it, one-third of the population of the world claims to be Christian. They're claiming to be little Christ. That number is 2.5 billion people claim to be little Christ. 1.3 billion of the 2.5 billion are Roman Catholics. The rest are made up mostly of Protestants and some others along the way. But all in all, one-third of the world's population claims to be Little Jesus. If you've been tracking with us through the book of Acts, you're, we're in chapter 5, and we're seeing how in only five chapters, God took 120 people and he started to flip a nation upside down. He started to turn it, it off of its original foundation and just stir the whole thing up. And he started with 120, and then 3,000 were added. Then a little later, 2,000 were added to that. And, and God's moving and shaking Jerusalem at a rapid pace. Would you agree? It's been a rapid pace that we've read that, that God's moving and shaking Jerusalem with Christians. Little Jesus. And so if you consider the rate that Jerusalem is being turned upside down, why do we live in the world that we live in today? With one-third of the population claiming to be something that they're evidently not. Because if one-third of the population was little Jesus's, we would be living in a different world. 
There would still be the demonic activity around us, but it would, it would be different. You would see the kingdom of God being advanced more clearly now than ever before. Shouldn't it be better than it is now? Why is it not? Is the question we have to ask. Why is it not? With one third of the population claiming to be something that clearly it's not. Could it be that we use some of these terms too loosely? We use the term Christian with no definition to back it up. It's like joining a gym. I go to Cajun Fitness. Hi, my name's Jamie. I go to Cajun Fitness. I don't go to Anytime Fitness. I go to Cajun Fitness. Why? Because I'm Cajun. I don't know what defines the difference between the two. I just chose to go to Cajun Fitness, right? So just because I, anyway. Could it be that we use some terms too loosely? We have no definition to back them up. There's no meaning behind the, the, the thing that we're claiming to be. Could it be that we don't understand the full picture of what God's purpose is for us? I think that's got a lot to do with it. It, it blesses me that one third of the population wants to be a Christian. I just wish they all knew what Christian meant. I want to show you something today. In chapter 5 of Acts, I was, I was actually going to preach. I, was, I read over this and was going to preach past it, going to preach something else, and I just felt like God changed my mind and said he wanted to stop on this. And up to this point, 3,000 people have been added to the church. Signs and wonders have been happening. The cripple, we read the story where the crippled man gets healed, and then John and Peter get arrested Right, you remember that? Then Barnabas sells a piece of property and brings the money, all the money to the apostles to give. Then Ananias and Sapphira, we heard about this last week, sell property and they come to the apostles lying that they, they're bringing the whole amount, but they were lying to the Holy Ghost and both of them died on the spot. Can you say Shazam? All of a sudden they just dropped dead. The Bible says that great fear spread amongst the people. So we pick the story up in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12. It says, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Side note, just, just because we read about the crippled man, that does not mean that that's the only thing that happened. The Bible, it even says about itself that you cannot contain all the things that, were, that happened. It, there wouldn't be books big enough to contain the signs and wonders of everything that happened. So I don't want you to just live with this, well, that was a miracle. and that was, There were signs and wonders all around them. Why do I tell you that? Because I'm trying to build your expectation that signs and wonders can even happen at Walmart. And it might be better than them just getting something on the shelf. They were done among the people and they were all with one accord at Solomon's porch. Verse 13, yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Now verse 13 kind of threw a, a wrench in my spokes. It, it, it just kind of hit me out of the blue that all of a sudden there were some people that did not want to be, did not want to join the disciples. They didn't want to join the capital C church for whatever reason, but they did hold them in high esteem. They thought they were great people doing great things, but they were like, but I ain't joining. 
Like, man, they, those, that's the coolest people on the planet right there. But I ain't joining them. Man, those people walk in some authority and some power, but, and I love to watch what, what God uses them to do, but I ain't getting in that. They refused, the Bible says, dared not join them. Wow. Great fear gripped the church. Like I said, why did they grip the church? Well, they saw Peter and John go to prison for praying for a crippled man. They saw Ananias and Sapphira drop dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. <sighs> you better quit that lying. <laughs> I think, let me just tell you what I think. I think all of a sudden the people that were following the church, the people that were just kind of running along with the church, all of a sudden realized, oh shoot, there's a cost to my decision. Oh, oh, this is more serious than I thought it was. I thought I was just joining the club, but man, this club's like for real. And I don't know if I really want to be a part of this because, because like there's consequences, like there's responsibility. Like, like I might go to jail and, and Lord help me if I keep lying, I might die. And <laughs> All of a sudden there was a cost attached to my decision. I may have to separate myself from some people, uh-oh, or some things. I may have to suffer for my decision. I may have to change my ways. I like me. I've been with me for 47 years. I'm used to me. I don't want to change me. I don't want to change. But I might have to change if I join myself to those people. I might have to be different than I've always been, and it makes me uncomfortable, and I don't want to be that because I don't know what that's like, and... and I'm going to have to change my intentions. It means I'm going to have to start living differently. I'm going to have to start intending to do things differently. I may have to be intentional with my calendar and my children and my spouse and my job and my time. I may have to look different than the world. I may stand out and I don't want to stand out. I don't like to stand out. I don't like to draw attention to myself. I just, I'm going to stay over here and just blend in. And, but I want to be close enough to where the action is, but I just want to blend in. I don't want to be them, but I want to be around them. I want to be known as a Christian, but I don't want to be a Christian. Question. Are you afraid to join in completely? You need to answer that question. Are you afraid to go all in? And be honest with yourself. If you are afraid to surrender your whole life, 100% of it to the call of Jesus, if you're afraid to do that, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to show you why. And when he shows you why, all you need to do to change your situation is repent of it and, and cast it out, whatever it is, and ask God to lead you and then just, just go all in. You see, the people that dared not join them could have joined them. But they made a decision not to join them. It was a conscious decision not to join. You're not going to stand before Jesus one day and say, well, you know, I didn't know I could be a part of the church. He's going to say, no, 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 no. You knew you could be a part of the church. You chose not to be a part of the church. 
Then it says that many believed and were added to the Lord, right? So I'm going to walk into this for a second. I'm not trying to stir up any theological debates or anything like that. It's just an observation I made from reading my Bible. I'm bringing you in on my quiet time. This is kind of how things go sometimes. I'm reading verse 14. I just got over verse 13. I'm reading 14 and it says, and the believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. I went, hold up a second. They were added to the Lord. I remembered what we learned in chapter two, verse 47. Watch what it says. And praising God and having favor with the people, the Lord added to the church. Those who were being saved. So in chapter two, the Lord's doing the adding. In chapter five, all of a sudden people are afraid to join and now they're just adding themselves to the Lord, it seems to me. Chapter two, he's adding to the church, the movers and shakers of the kingdom. In chapter five, all of a sudden here comes a cost attached to it and now people just wanna be added to the Lord, but don't add me to the church. Some folks were afraid to join them because it cost too much. That word join, I'll get to that in a minute. But you still have people being added to the Lord. So before we get into the cost of being the church, I need to first define what the church is. So number one, what is the church? I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you what the church is. I'm gonna show you secondly who the church is. And then we're gonna talk about the cost of being the church, okay? And besides that, you got notes in your hands so you're already ahead of me. Number one, what is the church? The word church in the Greek is, is the word ecclesia. E-C-C-L-E-S-I-A, Ecclesia. The definition of Ecclesia, pay attention to this, this is vital for the whole message. The definition of Ecclesia is a called out assembly. There's, it's not big, but it's very, very deep. It's a called out assembly. Everywhere you read about the church, you, you get the definition of the church. The church is always represented as a gathering. It's a group of people. It uses the term gathering. It uses the term congregation. It uses the, the term assembly. Left alone by yourself, you're not the church. It's an assembly. It's a gathering. It's a group of people that have been called out, it says. So Ecclesia is a called out assembly. What does that mean? That means that, that these, this group of people was called out of something and placed into something else. This is very important. You got to get this today. They were called out of something and into something else, but they were a group of people. So the church is a congregation of people called out of, the Bible tells us, out of this world. So look at your neighbor and say, you're out of this world. Come on, you need to say it with a little more enthusiasm than that. You've been needing to bless somebody, you need to do it right now. Like, you're out of this world. You may need to put a little salt and pepper, baby, you out of this world. If my wife was here, I'd have just pff, melted her right there. But she's not. 
You're out of this world. He called you out of this world into his marvelous light or wonderful light, the Bible says. So who is the church or what is the church? The church is a group of people that have been called out of the world into his wonderful light. That's the church. Anything opposite of that is not the church. Those who are, who are about to split their britches because they're half called and half not, they ain't the church. Called out means you leave someplace and you go to another. In Acts chapter 5, verse 13, it says, some folks didn't want to join them. That word join in the Greek is the word, it's where we get the word glued or cemented. And that's what that word means. So watch this. Watch what the people didn't want to do. I, they didn't want to be bonded to the move of God. They didn't want to be glued to what God was doing and the people of God. They didn't want to be cemented to the church. Why? Because when you get glued and cemented, you can't get out. So when it gets a little too hot and a little too heavy, I came back out because I've joined the church. <laughs> When you're building a house and you're putting in some brand new floors, you should, the, the carpenters use this term, glued and screwed. <laughs> so, <laughs> some of y'all... <laughs> I gotta say it. I just I can't help it. I gotta say it. It's gotta be said. Some of y'all don't want to be glued and you're screwed. Because you can back a screw out. When there's too much pressure. When adverse winds come, you can back a screw out. <sighs> they didn't want to be bonded to what God was doing. But watch this, this blows my mind. But they held them in high esteem. Just because people like you don't mean they're bonded to you. Oh, y'all go to church. Y'all do y'all's thing, girl. Y'all doing good. You got a beautiful family. Praise, praise that, that uh, Jesus. Praise Jesus. Yeah, go do your thing. I'm just going to watch. They didn't want to be associated with them. They didn't want the responsibility that came with them. You see, a group of people that are glued to each other, that are called out of darkness, they're called out of darkness into light, which means now they see things that they never saw before. When you're in darkness, you stumble and you trip on things and you're, you're blind and you can't, you can't see all that's around you. The other night I woke up to go to the bathroom and, and I met the Chester drawer. I don't know, I almost stepped on the dog. I mean, the, the dog almost died, I almost died and it was... 
But it was dark. I couldn't see. But when the light, when you're in the light, you can see. You can see what's going on around. You can see things you've never seen before. The church should be able to see. So we are people who can see the things of God now because we don't live in darkness anymore. The church, if I'm going to be the church, then I'm not going to be in the darkness. I'm going to be in the light. Amen? Because I've been called out of into this. Amen? You got it? Can I move on? Okay. So what is the church? The church is ecclesia. It's a called out assembly. Number two, who is the church? I broke this down into steps, but don't get hung up on the steps. Step one, who is the church? The church is believers. It's believers. It's made up of believers. But, but even that needs some definition today because, because <sighs> the church is made up of believers. Who's the church? It starts with believers, but you got to understand what believer means. Romans 10, 9, and 10 tells us that, 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 we, that we must believe in our hearts that Jesus, that God raised Jesus from the grave, right? And then it says we must confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and then it says you will be saved. So it's, he's talking about your heart, and he's talking about your mouth. Then it, in verse 10, he says, it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Watch this, you're justified in your heart, not in your head. You're justified in your heart, not in your head. So if you say, if you, if you gave your life to Jesus in your head, you might not be saved because you need to give him your heart, amen? You believe in your heart, and God sees the heart, and that's where he justifies if you're saved or not. Amen. So an intellectual decision to give your life to Jesus does not result in salvation. A decision from the deepest part of your heart results in salvation, and God knows the deepest part of your heart, and he's looking into your heart, and he's seeing if you believe in your heart. And buddy, when you do, all of heaven's with you. All of heaven's with you. This is a very important step. But it's not the only one. It's not the only one. There's more. It's one step amongst many. If you remember, Jesus spent time with his disciples before he ascended into heaven. He spent approximately 40 days with his disciples. The Bible tells us that in the beginning of Acts. He spent 40, think about this, 40 days proving one thing. Jesus is alive. 40 days he spent with his disciples proving that he is alive. Why did he spend 40 days proving that he is alive? Because if the church was going to build, grow, and sustain to the end, it was foundation, its foundation has to be that Jesus is alive. Because we don't serve a dead Jesus, we don't serve a used to be Jesus, we don't serve a Jesus who was, we serve a Jesus who is. He's alive, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's overseeing the church right now. And he sees your heart, and he sees your life and he's calling you out out of darkness out of this world there's a better life for you it's foundational and it's critical because you got to understand this an emotional decision in a church service does not always result in salvation and true belief 
I'm about to blow your mind. Because even demons believe. Even demons believe. Even, de even demons believe. You remember the, the guy who was filled up with legions of demons? And Jesus rose up in the Piro? Come on, somebody. He rose up, steps on the bank. What happens to the demons? They start to get nervous. They start to shake because the presence of Jesus is around. They even act out. They go, don't, don't kick us out. Don't kick us out. Why did they act like that? Because they believed in Jesus. If they didn't believe Jesus had the power to kick them out, they wouldn't ask him to not pick them, kick them out. They said, would well, you send us to the pigs? Poor little piggies. Went to the market and never came back. <laughs> Believing is just one step amongst many because even the demons believe. It's just a starting point. Step two, once you've become a believer in your heart, then it's to become a follower. So you believe, then you follow. <laughs> I had to bear with me for a minute. Me and John had a talk this week, and it is, and I may blame this on John. I don't know, but but John and I were talking. And we're like, bro, like when we believe, so do the demons. When we believe, so do the demons. Do I have to stay there? What's the difference? The demons don't follow Jesus. We get to follow Jesus. Come on. There's a difference. What's the difference? Step two, follow. <laughs> so if you like that point, that was me. If you don't like it, it was John. There you go. <laughs> Love you, John. When Jesus called Peter and John, he told them to follow him and then he would make them something greater than they thought they were. So question, what does following Jesus look like to you? I bet his definition is different than ours. I bet it's deeper than ours. I bet his definition is more costly than ours. Hmm. Matthew chapter four, verse 19 and 20. Watch this. Jesus called out to them. He finds Peter and those guys fishing. Jesus called out to them. In other words, to call out to them, they must not have been close enough for him to whisper. He called out to them. And he said, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Evidently, Jesus wasn't where they were. Because if he would have been where they were, he wouldn't have had to call them out. 
he called out to them, come. What does that mean? That means leave where you currently are and come to where I am. Come. The only way you get to be where Jesus is, you got to leave where you're at. Come. Leave. Leave that life and come. Follow me. He says, come and then go where I'm going. That's, that's the call. Come, follow me. I'm going to show you how to catch men. But you got to follow me to catch men. You got to follow me to get what I'm showing you. Because some of us, some of us are like those little kids you see in Walmart. You know, it's everybody else's kid. It's never, ever our kids that do this. Those kids at Walmart, and they just throw a full-on temper tantrum at the checkout line, which is two miles long, right? And they just throw, you ever seen a kid just throw themselves on the floor and demand attention? <laughs> Snickers! Oh, snicker devil manifested Walmart. <laughs> I've had that happen a few times. But they throw themselves on the floor and they want everybody to come to them and give them the attention and to tata them and to care for them and to be there with them and then tata them to keep going. And there's people in churches all over the place that they're just sitting there and they want the pastor to show up and they want the leaders to show up and they want Jesus to show up and come get me. When he's standing there going, come on. Come on. I got a cousin, no lie. He learned how to walk with a potato. I don't know why that just popped in my head. Like he, he wouldn't walk. And my, my aunt was there and my aunt's sitting down and she goes, she picks up a potato. You want the potato? And he goes, potato. <laughs> and he walked. Do you want what God has? You're going to have to walk. You're going to get your steps in. Because <laughs> he don't sit still long. He's always on the move. He's always going into a new area. He's always doing something new. And if you follow him, you might even lose some weight. You might even get healthy. You might even, your blood pressure might come down. I don't know. But if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to walk where he's walking. You can't throw yourself on the floor. Well, you can. <laughs> you might be there for a while. <laughs> Come, follow me, and I'll show you. You want to see what he has? Follow him. You'll see it. If you're not seeing it, it's because you're probably not following I just don't see the move of God like we used to. Well, get your butt out the basement and go where Jesus is and you'll see some movement in your life. Sorry. That was almost a Biden thing. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Some of y'all will catch that in a minute. Watch their response. They left their nets at once. When? At once. 
They left their nets at once. Following Jesus is not a 10-year plan. It's not a 20-year journey that you finally arrive at one day. When you follow Jesus, you follow Jesus. That's following Jesus at once. There was people that said, let me go bury my mom and dad. He said, let the dead bury the dead. Come on, we got to get going. I need to go, I need to go sell my crops and put my money away. Forget all that. Come with me. At once. You see, what I love about that story is that Jesus didn't sit there and, and, and dialogue with them about why they should follow. He didn't put no carrots in front of him and say, well, if you come with me, life's going to be better. If you come with me, you're going to have less worries. He didn't put no carrots out there. He said, come, 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 follow me. Why, why should we follow you? Because I'm going to show you how to fish for men. You think catching fish is good? Come catch you some men. So we should let their response influence our response. They left their nets at once and followed. You see, you can't follow without first believing, but you can believe without following. And by the way, even the demons do that. Mm. <laughs> this is where the calling out happens. Think about it this way. If salvation, if your moment of salvation was an incredible moment for you, think about how much more incredible it is to follow with Jesus. You don't have to stay there. Follow. Follow. You see, when you follow, you follow in light and you experience Jesus like you've never experienced him before and then you start to see things differently. You know what else you start to see differently? You start to see yourself differently. You start to see yourself differently. <laughs> when you come into the light, you start to see yourself Differently, you might even see yourself like this. Watch what Peter says in First Peter two nine. He's he's saying what the world is like. He's talking. He's describing the world, bringing definition to the world and what you've been called out of. And in verse nine, he says, "But you are not like that." He's talking to the church. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result of who you are, all those things, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light all hell does not want you to see yourself like Jesus sees you that's what the devil's scared of. He's scared that you're going to see yourself as a royal priest, as a chosen people, as a different race, as God's own people. Because the minute you see yourself that way, you live different. You respond different. You talk different. You act different. You go to work different. You walk into this world kicking back darkness and you push it out the way and you kick it and you advance the kingdom because you're a kingdom man or woman. You're not just from rain. You're not just from prayer. 
You're not from the Barry. Come on, Patty. My people. You're chosen. But you never learn that living with the darkness. You never learn that if you don't let Jesus call you out. You never learn that throwing yourself on the floor, throwing a temper tantrum. You only learn that as you follow Jesus in the light. So he called you out. Out of darkness into light. Out of this world into his kingdom. We don't see well in the dark, right? <coughs> How many of you are like me? The older you get, the more light you require. Come on, somebody. <coughs> I love restaurants. Some of my favorite restaurants are dark. It's like, bro, can you turn the lights on? Like, house lights, please, so I can read the menu. Right? Come on, somebody. I got two offices. I got an office at my house, and I got an office here at the church. And at my house, I got a lamp that I can, it helps me to see, but it, when we redid the office, I had a bunch of lights put in my office, particularly so I could see, because that's where I do most of my sermon writing and studying, and it's still, it's, it's just like, there's not enough light, that every day I get older, I need more light, so I got me another lamp, and I put it right there on my desk, and now I can see, I can see, you know it's good to see, come on somebody, I mean, sometimes you gotta hand the menu to the person at the other side of the table, Hold that, bro. Yeah, I'll take the mashed potatoes. We're a called out people that can see clearly now. He's saying to us today to come out of the darkness into the light and you'll see things that you've never seen before. You see, if you want to be with Jesus, you're going to have to follow where he's going. It doesn't mean he won't sit with you. It doesn't mean that he won't stop. It doesn't mean y'all won't pause. But you're with him. Don't you want to be where the action is? I mean, dear God, you gave your life to Jesus. You're not of this world anymore. Why would you not want to be where the action is? Yeah, how many of you get people that call you sometimes and say, hey, bro, you want some free tickets to the football game? Like, anybody ever offer you free tickets to the LSU game? Okay, warning. If somebody offers you free tickets to the LSU game, go to the schedule and find out who they're playing. It might be Tulane. And you might drive to Baton Rouge for nothing. And the seats are going to be way up in the nosebleed section, and you're going to be up there and you're trying to figure out, who's that player? I learn. Bro, you want some free tickets? What game? Too lame? No, I'm good. Why not? Because it's going to be boring. I won't be at the game where the accident. Won't you give me some tickets to Alabama? Anyway. I was on a recruiting trip out of high school for football, and they brought me to LSU, and, and they fed us in the stadium, and then Right before the game started, they walked us out on the field and we're standing like where the bleachers are, where the benches are for the players to sit on. We're on, literally on the field. And you can feel, I mean, it's called Death Valley for a reason. This junk will kill you. Like, and, and you feel it. And so the crowd's and just kind of rumbling. And, it's like, and all of a sudden, the, the team comes out. And what I felt on the field 
was like nothing I, never, I ever felt in the stands. My God in heaven, he's never called us to sit in the stands. He's called us to be on the field where the action is. You're, you're born and bred to be where the action is. You're gifted and talented to be where the action is. You need to get involved. You're a player, player. You need to be on the field. You need to play the game. Don't sit on the bench. Get in the game. Number three. So number one, we defined what the church is. It's an ecclesia, a called out assembly of people. Number two, we talked about who the church is. It's made up of believers and followers. Believers and followers. And if you've been a believer for a long time and you've chosen not to follow, you can follow today. You can still make the decision because the invitation is still there for you. Number three. Well, this sounds expensive. Is it going to cost me something? <laughs> Simple answer, yes. Everything. 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 You better believe it will. Remember the folks who didn't want to dare join them? They were tight. Come on, y'all, y'all know them people, they don't ever buy. They invite you to lunch and never buy. They tighten. They don't want to be where the action is. They don't want to pay the price to get involved and serve and love and give and all those other things. And, but they sure thought the church was great. They sure shared the post from the church page Thought the church was great, but they didn't want to be glued to it. You see, like the rich young ruler, I believe one day we're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to see a whole lot of sad people. Not sad because they're going to hell, but sad because they, their deeds are about to get judged. Jesus made it very clear that it would cost you your life. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to wrap this message up and let Jesus preach to you. I'm going to read some scripture. <laughs> Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 27 to 27, it says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Why do we do deeds? Not for salvation, from salvation. Your money will be judged. 
Your possessions will be judged. Your talents will be judged. Your abilities that, that he gave you will be judged. Your time will be judged. Your energy will be judged. Your deeds, all consuming your deeds will be judged. And it's not to determine whether you fry, it's to determine how he's going to reward you. I don't know about you, but that just hit real hard. He's so madly in love with us that he sent his son for us. He so longs to be with us that he gave us his son to make a way so that we could be together all the time. He gives us his Holy Spirit to give us power that is super to natural. It's, it's super, it's above natural. That we could do things that would advance his kingdom, that we could catch other men. And then when we get to heaven, he's going to judge our deeds. Not to send us to hell, but to reward us. to reward us. It's not a judgment for punishment. It's a judgment for reward. It's not a judgment to take something from you. It's a judgment to give more to you. How much more does God need to do to get our hearts? How much more does he have to do to cause us to let go of the things of this world? How much more does he have to do What's it going to take for you to answer the call to come out of the darkness in this world and into his wonderful? What's it going to take? Second Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 14 to 18. Some of you have heard me lately get a little more irritated than I've been before about things like Halloween and Easter and Christmas. And I'm not going to apologize for that. I think the older I get, and the closer to Jesus I get, the more those things make me sick. Not that I struggle with them, but that I see people struggling with them. And so I, I've said things and I will continue to say things because Easter is not about a bunny rabbit and eggs. It's about a, 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 the son of God going to the cross and then raising from the grave. That's what Easter is about. Bunny rabbits and eggs are a distraction from the devil. I don't care how cute they are. Christmas is not about... A, a, a fat bearded man and an elf on a shelf and Christmas presents. It's not about that. That's a distraction 
from the real reason for Christmas. Christmas is celebrating the birth of Jesus, period. Now, we give presents. That's fine. I mean, we, we're great to each other, but we give presents all year too, and we, and we, and we don't celebrate the fat man. <laughs> and I definitely ain't hiding no stupid elf on the shelf. The heck is all that about? But I just felt when I, I thought I needed to put these verses in the Bible, when I started reading them, I was like, hmm, makes sense. So I'm not a deranged lunatic. I'm not a religious nut that believes you should do all kind of crazy things to prove your devotion to God other than just <laughs> give up your life. <laughs> I, I'm, I read my Bible. And I believe my Bible. And when I read my Bible and I believe it, I then act upon what I believe. And when I act upon what I believe, my life changes. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is kind of like salty and sweet. <laughs> Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? Here's my Halloween verse. What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? What in the hell is Christians doing celebrating Halloween? It's demonic. Jesus has no attachment to Halloween. It's the devil's celebration. You gotta get past that junk and you gotta serve Jesus because it's the devil's celebration and the church has no business participating in it. None. I don't give me this stuff about what we're gonna redeem Halloween. There's nothing to redeem. What harmony. You can't blend Jesus and the devil together and come up with some strange mixture that makes you go, oh, well, you see, we brought Jesus and the devil together and we celebrated in fall. My heart's beating. How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever and what, what union can there be between God's temple and idols, for, for we, we are his temple. We are the temple of the living God. Look at me. You're the temple of the living God. There's no room for demonic things. There's no room for idols. You're the temple that God lives in. It needs to be holy. It needs to be pure. Listen to what he says. I will live in them and walk among them. All these people that have nothing to do with all this other stuff, he said. I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, come out. Come out, come out, come out. Come out. Come out. Come out from among unbelievers. Separate. Separate. 
Separate. Like, like, it's, it's separate. I'm not them anymore. I'm not that anymore. I'm this. And I stand in this. And I live in this. And I thrive in this. Because this is where God is. This is where the action is. This is where the light is. Separated. No longer attached from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things. They got stuff, hand sanitizer won't get off. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. And I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. It's a call. If you don't want to answer the call, don't answer the call. But don't act like you're something that you're not either. If you want to be in, the door's open. Come on, baby, get in. But if you don't want to be in, get out. That's revelations. Because those people that are parting, they don't want to separate, but they're splitting. And I'm trying to be a little bit like the world, but give me enough Jesus to get to heaven. I got me some fire insurance, but also got me some devil insurance. And I'm going to be with the world, and I'm going to be a little worldly, but I'm going to be a little Christian at the same time. Those people get thrown up. Spit out. Makes him sick. Amen. Yeah? Praise God. He's the one that calls us into life out of death. He's the one that has good for us and not harm. Everything that he has for us gives life. It gives life, it gives life, it gives life. If anything needs to die, he's the, he's the good gardener. He comes and he prunes and he cuts away so that you can produce more life. He's the God of life, not the God of death. He's not trying to take something from you to hurt you. He's trying to take it from you to help you. great love for us not only did you give us the greatest gift possible you turn around and you give us your Holy Spirit to help us live strong you give us new life calling us out of a community of death into a community of life fill with your spirit there's nothing that we can't do walk with us until our days are over on this planet and then you bring us before you one day and you judge all of our deeds not to punish us but to reward us you're a good good father you're a good good father you are good
I bless you today. And I worship you, oh God. I feel like the luckiest man on the planet. Jesus found me, saved me, filled me, delivered me, empowered me. And one day he's going to bring me home. I got a seat at his table. I don't belong to this decrepit world anymore. I'm a royal priest, a holy nation, a chosen people. I'm not a couillon from Franklin. I'm your son. I got purpose. I got destiny. I got a legacy to leave. There's generations coming after me that are going to advance the kingdom of God. It's all because you love me. Today, Lord, I give you my life. Every bit of it. If I'm even emotionally stirred by something that needs to come out, I pray you take it out. And if I ever pick up something that I'm not supposed to hang on to, would you show me and give me the power to let it go? I don't want to buy back what I've been called out of. call me to go backwards, you call me to go forwards. I bless you today. I love you, Lord. Move in our hearts. Move, move, move. Holy Ghost in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? I love you. God bless you.